Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in and around the beautiful burg of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the United States of America. Thank you for joining us. Episode 35, season four, rushing headlong to the end of 2020, which is something I think everyone on the planet Earth is looking forward to. As always, I am joined by my co-hosts, Lavelle and Carlo. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. The first big news of episode 35. Carlo, how is the puppy? She's doing great. She's the... She went from 15 to 25 pounds in the last two weeks. So, Whoa. yeah, is she's that normal? big. Um, I don't know. I guess so. Yeah, for her it is. I mean, she looks healthy. You can tell. Like, usually you could tell by, like, how, if you look at them from certain angles, if you could see, like, like the shape of them and you could feel that their ribs still, like, they're still healthy weight. So um, she's just huge, you know? She's got really big dog clothes. is she? She's, like, a mixed breed between a boxer, bulldog, pitbull and like definitely some kind of hound and maybe lab but she's got web feet so hey either you guys ever read any of the dresden books no Mm -mm. so dresden picks up this little dog it's a little furry puppy that he likes it turns out to be one of those huge mountain mastiffs (laughs) (laughs) as it grows older so it starts out a little puppy you can keep in his pocket (laughs) so i'm just warning you there yeah i think that's probably the same dog yeah. <laughs> and so. has she been good around your hobby space and with models being around or how are you negotiating that um i haven't had any time to hobby to be honest with her around she just like takes up all my time she's my new hobby hobby uh progress because it's just like going and watching her 24 7 training her and then like now i've been i took like two and a half weeks off to like get her acclimated and now i'm going back to work and monica's watching her while i'm at work and so like on my days off i try to watch her as much as i can because like monica watched her saturday sunday monday and it was just like you know anybody who has had a puppy knows that they're like adorable but they're also like little tornadoes in the house with teeth they're like sharknadoes (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing so it's not like a cat where you can just put it in the bedroom and be done with it oh no yeah definitely not yeah Awesome. Well, thank you both for being here. I know it's early here on this Wednesday morning, the 8th of July. Uh, I mentioned the date because we are on the threshold of some big new releases for Warhammer 40,000. We have the new edition headed our way shortly. We have several uh, new additions to the uh, Psychic Awakening series leading up to that uh, ninth edition release next week. And a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. But as always, let us begin with hobby progress. If you'll indulge me, I'll get us started. Um, I took a week off from painting last week. I was getting this weird elbow pain, I think because I have this desk here that I do my most of my work at and I was too low. And then I would go to the studio and paint some stuff and I'd be like this. So I had this really sharp mm. like tennis elbow feeling in this arm. I really felt like I was, oh, like, you know, not getting any younger here, Tim. And, you know, sounds like a of, disability claim. I think it might be a disability <laughs> claim. It, I had this weird pain here. So I took a week off and I was trying to like not bend my elbow. Like when I drive, I almost, I always put my arm up here, you know, so I was trying not to do that. I was just trying to keep my arm straight all week. So I was trying to like, I was trying to like this. I, I usually sleep, you know, like this, like in some kind of knotted position. So I was trying to like, like keep my arms at my sides when I sleep. 
but it did work. My elbows do feel better. So I got back uh, to painting this week and I made a ton of progress on my orc stampa and uh, battle wagon. Um, oh, you got those are almost done. Mm-hmm. Got a stampa, got the battle wagon. Um, I have to do some, I have these blue gems that I'm putting on the bases of all of my orc army. And I have a whole story about how they think that that's um, Blackstone. But it's not. It's like they're fool's gold, but they're obsessed with it. And they think it's like the most valuable thing in the galaxy. And they'll go to any length to get it, even though it's like super common and worthless. So they're, it's like a super dumb orc army that I'm building, which I'm kind of into. Nice. I'm going to bring a little bit of comedy back to my orc narrative, which I'm, which I'm stoked about. Um, but I, was, I spent uh, yesterday, uh, Monday and Tuesday, I put about a half a day into those two models, which felt good. So I got like eight hours in on those two, which was nice. Um, I just ordered a repulsor finally to get back in my Space Marine game next. And uh, I ordered um, the Greater Good, which I've been having a hard time finding at local game stores, which I don't have yet for the Psychic Awakening series. I feel were you, like- Were you able to order it? I was able to order it, yeah. Yeah, somebody had it, um, I think it was on eBay. Somebody had a copy for uh, 35 bucks. So I ordered that. Cool. I wonder how the, pandemic will affect certain printings of these uh, psychic awakening books like did they not print as many because eighth was kind of ending ninth was starting and then like people would basically you know i'm sure a lot of people stopped spending money on gaming stuff in the last couple of months so i'm wondering how many of the copies of these books will be available in the future after some time exactly. has passed Exactly. That's a really good question. I wanted to talk about this a little later, but let's do it now. Isn't it interesting that because of the pandemic, because of quarantine, because of nobody working at the Game Workshop's warehouse, and apparently there was still stuff coming over from their printers overseas, like there were all these reports of mm-hmm. what's in those containers that GW had delivered in California, you know? But, uh, but, isn't, it, but it, isn't it interesting, like the sequencing of the end of Psychic Awakening into Ninth Edition? I wonder what the original plan was. And... I think it, there definitely will be a scarcity issue of some of the Psychic Awakening releases in the future because um, the um, Saga of the Beast was was not even really released until much later than it was supposed to be, I think. They release it, and then like the week it releases when they shut down the warehouse. So like some copies were shipped out to certain parts of the world, but I think like you know depending on when shops ordered it or pre-ordered it and stuff, stuff like that. And then they just kind of like put a stop to it. So I know red caps didn't get theirs, but I know other, uh, some other shops did. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm sure in that shuffle, some of these books will <clears throat> be, you know, somewhat scarce, whether that means they're going to be valuable is another thing, but I'm sure some of them will be more readily available. That's why I was just, as soon as I saw the one greater good copy, I jumped on it. Cause I had a feeling that maybe they didn't print as many as they thought they would. Maybe they had to reassign those printing resources to get Pariah and War of the Spider and Machine War going, and then maybe print less of certain ones of the earlier ones, et cetera. You know, I'm just speculating, but I just thought the the sequencing of the releases were interesting leading up to ninth edition. Well, I would I would say to everybody, it's definitely worth it to have all of those books. <clears throat> I've been fortunate and I've been right on the cusp. And I've gotten all of the books as soon as they were released or shortly thereafter at, you know, normal prices, if not local, uh, local store discount price. But I don't think I've gotten any of that. But the thing is, the books are really, really good. And I want to talk about one right now, kind of skipping to my hobby progress. I just completed my Valerian and um, Alea models. 
And when it came out, I just I, I like the books that they were based on. I went ahead, got it, got them built, painted. The thing about them is, and then War of the Spider came out. And what War of the Spider had that was a game changer was Talons of the Emperor. So now, as you should have always been able to do, you can take Sisters of Silence and a Custodes Detachment. The Sisters of Silence got their own um, uh, stratagems and the Custodes got expanded stratagems. And then they put different factions within sub-factions within each one of the Custodes based on the jobs and they gave them different abilities. And it really, really does make a difference from, it's already an elite army, but it adds a different level of complexity to the game and give you diff, gives you different abilities. It's, it's really been worth it. But, you know, if you can believe this, although it's not a lot of pages, it's still, it's still requiring me to rethink my um, whole Custodes army in terms of what, I'm, what I am going to bring to the table. I am holding out. Um, these rules will hold in ninth edition but I still don't know the point cost and I'm still waiting to see that. And we're going to talk a little bit later about ninth edition. Cause you know, you can put a storm shield on these guys and a storm shield. Now it's just crazy until they fix that rule. It's just crazy right now. But um, so war of the spider was really, really good. And all of the, all of the books have had, have been a really good read. And from what I've heard, it really brings us up to where we are in ninth edition. A lot of the ways, the way um, Gulliman's Return, that whole series, uh, what was it, Rising Storm? Yeah. Yeah, they, they set the, the framework for 8th um, edition early. And so this is doing a lot of, a lot of different things. And, I, you know, this, I got in an argument with a couple of the guys, and we took a bet. We know a Primarch is coming back in, um, coming in November, but we took a bet as to who we thought that Primarch would be. So Any, it's um who's it gonna be? Who's it okay, gonna be I'm gonna go out on the limb here. I'm gonna go out on the limb. A lot of people think the lion. I think we might be looking at loyalist Fulgrim. That would be a twist. <laughs> yeah, because you know they have a clone Fulgrim. Yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah. about this clone story. I right. Don't know. <laughs> well, you know, they did give us give us Fabius Ball back That's in true. this book. That's true. So, you know, I think I think that might be the twist that they give us. <laughs> You don't have to buy in. I don't care. <laughs> I, hope I, don't you didn't care. Put, I hope you didn't put too much money on that bet. I'll say that. I can, I can hear your doubt. <laughs> I, wouldn't put, I wouldn't put a lot of stakes on that bet. Yeah. Who do you like coming back? Go ahead, Tim. Take your bet. I like Vulcan. Vulcan. Yep. I think, I think Vulcan is due for a comeback. You, I might, feel as like, shred, you might as well shred your money. I feel, like, I, I feel like because they just released a new Lion model for Heresy, I don't know if they, I, don't, I mean, they're not really connected, but I don't know. Something tells me Vulcan. Yeah. Carla, what's your bet? I'd like it to be Russ, but I don't think it's going to be him. Um, I think we're going to see another Chaos Primark. Mm. What? They, Why not? Yeah. One, <laughs> one Loyalist, and we will be up to what? Three, four Chaos. Mm-hmm. Be pretty good. <laughs> pretty tight. Pretty I think nasty. we'll see a Chaos Fulgrim. <laughs> yeah. A Chaos Fulgrim. That's yep. possible. Do you think we, do you think upon release there are going to be any surprises, or do we know everything that's coming out with the ninth edition launch? I don't. I think there's going to be surprises. I don't know that we know everything, because um, well, you know what? I don't know. Some people have the book. I've seen some battle reports, um, but they could be sworn to silence. 
Yeah. The Inquisition could be just off camera. I mean, we've we've seen photos of some of the new Space Marine stuff that's coming out in tandem with Ninth Edition launch. We know there's that new uh, fortification piece, the little what's it called? There's like a little mini bastion. Um, the, yeah, 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 the missile thing. Yeah, but I wonder if if you know if we're going to see any. Whoa! I didn't expect that when this finally drops. That'd be nice. We'll see. We'll see. I kind of like that thing. I like that bunker. Yeah, it's pretty sick. I think it's great looking. I was thinking about doing getting one of those and then finally getting those storage containers. Oh yeah, uh, I have the I have a box of those the little really? storage containers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I bought. I was like, them? I bought them for a mo- for like a terrain project uh, to do the Nova Ls, but then we ended up just doing with other stuff. So I think I might use them for terrain conjunction with the stuff I bought at Nova. But uh, I think I'm going to do the bunkers the same way you would do them in starcraft and red alert and just like put a line of them across my deployment zone you know so my opponent can't get through and they just fire all game <laughs> and then like an scv stands behind them and repairs them as they It'd be amazing and i oh, amazing. Well, i guess a tech priest right yeah <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> all right y'all we will take a short break we will come back we will start talking Ninth edition and War of the Spider. Stay tuned. Welcome back, section two. Lavelle's going to get us started here with tactical upload, talking about War of the Spider. So War of the Spider had a couple of things that was really, really interesting. They've got some new missions, which I really, really like. But a couple of things. Um, let's let's go through a couple of the sections. The the ten thousand, the 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 great, 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 great ones, the Abdeptus Custodes, they now have five sub factions that you can take what they which they call shield hosts. One is the Shadow Keepers, the Aquilan Shield, the Dread Host, the Solar Watch, and the Emirate. It's emissaries and paratus. And what they do is they allow you to customize your your uh, relics as well as your warlord trait, and you get a special uh, stratagem that goes with them. Each one does different things. As you know, the lore of the um, of the uh, the Adeptus Custodes, it gives you a feel for each one. And there are a bunch of um, additional, let's see, there are six, um, they look to be about, 12, 13 or 14 um, new stratagems on top of the ones that they already had before. Um, nothing really comes to mind, but I do like you can reduce. You see some of these stratagems and other factions where you can reduce your the damage that your dreadnought takes. Um, you can um, maximize your shots, various things like that. The thing that I thought was new. In the game, you can take a shield captain, and your shield captain is your warlord trait. They have a, for one CP, they have a stratagem called Captain Commander. You can choose a non-character shield captain and give him one of these special um, Captain Commander traits, which basically act like another warlord trait. And it's really, really good. One that I like is add one to the advance and charge rolls made for this model. And add one inch movement to characteristics of this model. That's pretty good, except for if you put it on a shield captain on a Dawn Eagle jet bikes, that becomes really, really good. That's um, that's a bit of a game changer here. They now have the ability to get command points back. 
Um, you can add two wounds. This one, I didn't, I mean, I can understand it, but I'm like, is, are they serious? Add two, two to the wounds characteristics of the model. And if you put that on top of a guy on a Dawn Eagle jet bike who already has, I think, six wounds, that's pretty, pretty good because they, they hit like a tank and now they last. Yeah, the, the next section character like that. Oof. Right. Do they have a invul save? They, have a they do. Shield, all, right? all custodians have a four. No, all custodians have a four up invul save. Oh, uh, okay. You cool. can give him a relic that gives him a three out, a three up. I think that's, yeah, that's what you want to do with that, right? Like the three up invul and eight wounds on a bike. That's good. So just listen to this. You can give him three up and um, um, a three up invul, eight wounds. And um, the three up invon will come from Eagle Eye. I mean, it, it, and on top of that, you would have the Orc Aquilus other guy on the bike. He would have four up, and you can give him minus one to hit or five up, feel no pain. Uh, you know, that, that that's pretty good. Those guys will be zooming around wrecking stuff. They had the Sisters of Silence in here. Um, the Sisters of Silence, the only thing really different about them is that you can now put them in as an elite. And your army and still keep. And so there's a bunch of things going on where you can actually have them right in front. You could shield your custodies from um, uh, mine bullets, you know, smites. In addition to that, they have a stratagem in here that I just want to read you that I thought was <laughs> just amazing. And it is called Empiric Severance. Use this stratagem in your opponent's phase, psychic phase. When the enemy psyker manifests, a psychic power within 18 inches of a Sisters of Silence infantry unit from your army. After any denied the witch attempt, roll a D6. On a three plus, the psychic power is resisted and the effects is negated. Ooh. It's one command point. Wow. Wow. They also have, which I thought was really, really thematic, Creeping Dread. One command point. Use the stratagem at the start of any phase. Select one Sisters of Silence infantry unit from your army until the end of that phase when resolving an attack made by a model in the enemy unit within six inches of that unit. Subtract one from the roll. So that's not any attack, any hit roll against the unit. All you have to be is in six. You get these guys in close combat. Um, that's going to be pretty good. It's going to be pretty good. How or the Sisters of Silence, aside from their ability to deny psychic powers, like so, if you end up playing a an army like Tao without any psychic powers, so you don't gain that um, trait of theirs for that battle, like how can they be useful in that match? Since they're they're an well, elite option, right? So they can they don't yeah. have objectives secured. So how do you how would you normally use them in that? Maybe scenario? I try. Maybe I try a little punishment fire for one CP <laughs> until the end of the phase. Change the range and type and uh, the range and type characteristic of bolt guns equipped on this model from to assault three, 18 inch assault three. So I would say that they have the the resilience of a normal space marine unit, not a Primaris. Um, more speed and they, it, I don't, I don't think they hit as hard. What's what's the minimum unit size and point cost with in the, that book? The minimum unit size of any one of the sisters unit is five models. It is, yeah, okay. It's five models, and 
like um, a unit of uh, they're, they're going to cost 50 points for five models. Well, uh, maybe a little yeah. bit more if you give them. Yeah, if you give them flamers, that's pretty good. Right. Because you can pepper them around. Now, I'm still 100, not 100 percent sure on this Valerian and Alea. Because one is the Sisters of Silence, um, Alea, and the other is the Custodes. But they look to be an HQ with two models. And you don't have to, you deploy them at the same time, but they don't have to be together. But you do have to take them together in your army. That is correct. Uh, and that's they, what made them useless at first. Are they one data sheet? You're saying? They are one, they are one data sheet, yes. They are one data sheet. And, you know, I got to tell you, I didn't think, I didn't, I, I just didn't think that there was a lot with them. Um, you know, no, there's nothing special about a layer. Yeah, I, I just didn't think it, I didn't think anything was special. And he is just a shield captain, you know, who, you know, he gets to reroll one, um, once per battle when resolving an attack made with Gnosis. Gnosis is his, uh, his, um, his guardian spear. By this model, you can reroll either the hit roll, the wound roll, or the damage roll. And that might come up in a pinch, but it's kind of iffy. You know, mm -hmm. I just didn't think anything. I just think other than thematically, it, it really wasn't good. But it was interesting because they're an HQ slot that has both of them in there. And there's no special rule that comes into play when they're near each other or anything? Or there's nothing, there's no extra sauce there? It seems unusual. No, there's no extra sauce. Except for, I guess, if you didn't want to take a full, um, what am I thinking? If you didn't want to take a full Sisters of Silence, like you didn't want to use any of your elite spots, you could put one on the battlefield with just one of your HQ spots. Because you're getting the shield captain, and you're getting one Sister of Silence, which would automatically unlock all of those stratagems that she has. Especially the Deny the Witch piece. Makes sense. Uh, so maybe that's, yeah, that's a good call. That's mm -hmm. probably exactly mm -hmm. what that's for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now the next thing in here was Imperial Agents. They they gave us new data sheets, but they're not really new. Um, there's, not, there's some cleaning up of wording for all of the assassins, which was a nice surprise. Hmm. Because what I'm noticing is things made it out of White Dwarf into print in the book. That's nice. Yeah. They changed a couple of things like Shadow Assignment. And shadow assignment, remember how you used to reserve the spot and then for 2CP drop a um, um, any assassin in. Now it just is a little, it's just a little bit more straightforward. Now you actually put an assassin in your army and you can use that 2CP to switch it to another. Mm -hmm. So so the advantage of that is if you took a Vindicare, you see across the table, you don't need to spend that 2CP anymore. And then you can automatically put them in there. So it got, he's right there. So it got better, actually. For I think it did. Assassins. I did. So they got a couple of uh, what's his name, which was fine. Now here's the thing: Death Guard is in this book too, and Death Guard it appears got some. They got something called play companies, and I'm I I I I get beat by Death Guard all the time, but <laughs> I'm not an expert on them. But they have the the harbingers, inexorable, the inexorable, inexorable, whatever that word is, <laughs> Motarian's anvil, the wretched, and each one act almost like those shield hosts, the poxmongers, the ferrymen, 
and Motarian's chosen sons. And so they, one, two, three, wow, did they get more? Now I'm going to go on my rant. And can you give us an example of like some of the different flavors there? Mm-hmm. What's, what are the specialties? The Poxmongers. Um, so it has a warlord trait called Sanguis Flux. When resolving an attack made by, with a melee weapon by a friendly Poxmongers, by friend, a friendly Poxmongers model against an enemy infantry whilst within seven inches of this warlord, improve the armor penetration characteristics of that weapon by one. So AP zero becomes AP one. Wow, Poxmongers have a lot of attacks, don't they? They also have they have they have the ferryman. When a morale test is taken for an enemy unit within 12 inches of this warlord, add two to the results. Man, that could be pretty bad. So um that 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 was good. Now here's the thing that's the strangest of all. Fabius Bow. Okay. So they have his data sheet, right? They got a couple of relics from him. But they and and two stratagems, but they have this thing. Um, you can make them creations of bow, so it creates its own army, and so all of Fabius Bow's models and his army get plus one movement and strength. And they, um, I, I don't understand how you built this though. Uh, do you take a, reg- a regular? Oh, I guess no. It says right here, as part as per the Shadowy Allies rules in Codex Chaos, Chaos Space Marines, Fabius Bow himself, as well as falling units, cannot benefit from the no, no the, the, the the experimental. So you 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 create a Chaos Army and you give them an experimental trait that makes them creations of Bow, and then they get all this ability and they all act they unlock these things. So it's it'll be. I need to see a chaos player play this on the table. What is Fabius Biles' data sheet looking like? Does he what does he do? Move. Uh, okay, so he's got this little surgeon acolyte, which I love. Just the model. <laughs> um, six inch movement, weapon skill two, ballistic skill three, strength four, toughness four, five wounds, four attacks, leadership nine, three plus three plus save. And he has a needler, which is a pistol three. And a wound on a two plus, except against vehicles. The oh, and, you know, we all like this one. The rod of torment, plus one strength, minus one AP, D three damage. Um, surgeon the acolyte, he's got nothing. The chirurgeon, and so you know, makes three additional attacks with this weapon. Frag and Krakenades. He has death to the false emperor. Now death to the false emperor. Now here are his special traits. Another pair of hands. If he is accompanied by a surgeon acolyte, after rolling the D3 for the enhanced warrior's ability, you can add or subtract one from the result. I'm going to come to that enhancement in a minute. Um, when Fa- And the chirurgeon. When Fabius Bow would lose a wound, he has a five-up feel no pain. In addition, at the start of each of your t- of his turns, he regains D3 lost wounds. Yeah, that might keep him around. Wow. And he can enhance warriors. At the end of your movement phase, you can select one heretic Astartes infantry unit from your army that is not a character and is wholly within six inches of him. You cannot select a unit that's already been effective. You roll a D3. One is the typical thing. Plus one strength, plus one toughness, plus one attacks. So theoretically, I guess you could get some corn berserkers in there. 
give him an extra attack. He's only 85 points, and his uh, he is a HQ, and his uh, acolyte gives him uh, costs another five points. So yeah, it could it could be interesting. And in the lore in the book, apparently he has captured a custodies, and he's starting to pick that apart. So who knows what he's going to come up with next? That could be a bad development. Wow. Right. So I have to say, before this, it was Engine War. Um, and before Engine War, it was Saga of the Beast. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate I got all of the books. They've all been really, really good reads, really good reads. And even the books where the armies that I played didn't get anything, they were still worth having. Agreed. Yeah, I look forward to getting my copies. And I look forward to Pariah, which I think oh. is the that's going to be the last. You know, in Pariah, they're going to be releasing the new Illuminar Caesar model. And I saw the stat line. I said, you know what? That's not really not going on. I'm not getting that. Then I saw the model, I, the actual model. And he, he looks at about his base is the size of Gulliman's. That's, I said, okay, now I have to have it. Now I have to have it. Ninth edition rules. Can't believe I'm saying that. Ninth edition rules. They're right here. They're available. You could be playing with them if you were not social distancing or if you were playing online or if you were playing outside and maintaining social distancing. Although with the smaller table sizes, it is more challenging to stay socially distant. So before we talk about the rules, because, you know, this is the kind of player I am. Let's talk a little bit about the lore. Let's talk about what's kind of going on in the larger galaxy. So as near as I can figure out, and I've done a lot of watching YouTube and reading stuff, the big change, because there's always crap going on here, the big change is Blackstone. And what makes Blackstone apparently difficult is it can control, when you can use it, it can control the warp. And they set up the Necrons. They set up originally the Blackstone, um, the pylons on Cadia, and several other places to contain the warp. And not just Cadia was the last real fall. But in addition to that, over time, because they put pylons here, the sun goes nova. They put pylons here, something happens, and they got all wrecked. So over time, the structure, the barrier or the, the buffer that they put in place has gone down. And apparently, Silent King has returned and he's like, OK, OK, we, we need to redo this stuff. So they, they started building these huge engines. If you look at some of the terrain pieces, you can see them employing the Blackstone. Um, and the very first hint that they gave us, and they gave us, remember they have uh, what those, those things where they just showed a little picture of some model? One of those, right, one of those pictures was Cesar's Blackstone. Many of the nobles in the Necron carry around personal pieces of Blackstone to fend off the war. So it appears, I'm speculating now, it appears that now as they're trying to rein in the warp, you know, on the surface, you think, well, this is great. We rain in the warp. We don't have this big rift going across. We can control this chaos crap. Except for as they rein it in, they restrict warp travel for everybody, but not them. Not them. Now, Eldar, do Eldar use the warp? The webway. Yeah. 
So, you know, that seems to be the big thing as they began erecting these huge engines that they always had but were hidden in various places. These huge engines, and now it's causing this impact across the galaxy. There have been the stories in the narrative up until this point of Necrons, of some of the Necron characters as they became more and more filled with personality, coming to the aid of humankind, sort of, in a yes. couple of examples, right? Do you see that playing out a little bit further? Is there going to be like, a, are we going to see some good guy Necrons maybe? Well, what did you just say? I'm sorry. What, they are the good guys. What are you, what are you talking about? I'm confused. Tell me, you have to add, please restate your question. The answer is yes. So, so the thing about it is, who is who? Do, this is a question for both of you. Who, right now, in the 40k galaxy, who is the big baddie? I think chaos. Right. I mean, for me, like, I would think demon. Yeah, demons, chaos. Yeah, because like tyranids are the inevitable like destruction of the universe but they're not like bad they're just like existing right they just they don't know they have no moral compass yeah so but i think the big baddie is really the tyranids you think so i i, I yeah i think the tyranids present a problem that for everybody like chaos they don't really present a problem for the eldar i mean that's yeah yeah y'all you know that's their problem there's an aspect that's there you know, the Talon really worry about cat, but the, the Tyranids are a problem for everybody. And the Tyranids would not be here if not for Horus. True. Right. Tyranids would, they would mm -hmm. not be here if not for Horus. Thank you, Horus. Yep. They were awakened. What did by he his do? Actions. Did he throw like a little bone like across the universe? That's what, exactly what he did. <laughs> he, blew, he blew the Tyranid whistle. Yep, he did. <laughs> no, he all of the, the death and destruction of the heresy he turned the is lights what on. called their attention. Yep. Right. Because they were just kind of moving through. This, the void of space. So I think one of the things that they, they might, you might see them align with the humans against the Terranids. But I don't think, you know, I, you know, here's the thing. I don't see how they could write it. Like if, if, the, if the Necrons are weak, their advantage, really, I mean, not for, forget that they're living metal and they can read. No, it's technology technology and um Win the windows Katans. 95 obviously <laughs> you're right still loading still loading still loading still loading still loading no so i think i think that might be it they'll that'll be a big problem the only thing that they really have and that's uh you know earth the terrans uh, the um, the only thing that they really have for them is belisarius how do you mean belisarius has a rudimentary understanding of their technology. Oh, I see. And he's going out and he's raiding it. Of the Necron technology? Yes. Yes. And, you know, a lot of his, a lot of things that he's doing is kind of coming about. You know, Belisarius is quite the heretic. He's a complicated character. Yeah, he's got multiple bodies lying around. Lock but Ordo Xenos would, like, not be happy with him. If not they, happy at all. Nah. I think if like, they caught two two of them in the same room at the same time. <laughs> That's a problem. It's funny because the Imperium has there are a lot of instances where the Imperium will take help from Eldar, take help from Tau, or take help from Necrons, right? And they kind of like have introduced their technologies and psychic 
stuff or whatever into their own community. But like you don't see that on the other end. Like when do you see except for I guess Tau you have the Guevesa, but like um when do you see Necrons taking stuff from Imperium? Like you don't really see that, right? You don't see like Eldar taking stuff from Imperium. Well will we take a hammer from a caveman? <laughs> exactly. No. <laughs> Well, the Necrons just take uh, people, like and put them in our, put them in their um, tesseract in vaults. The, right. <laughs> oh, that's true. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. This would be great. Let's just look at that. Yep. Look into this light. Wait, who's, who's like the, what's the character that went missing? That is it, Trazan that used to go around and collect. People? Yes, Trazan the Infinite. Who do you, why would you? Why would you say used to? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Does currently in the future will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, no. <laughs> is destined to <laughs> yeah. um who's that guy he took those like the guy with the cigar the model that looks like oh uh, um not like, pask but um he was the general on cadia yeah uh, the, big, the big guy what's his name um i'm gonna make up a word he's very gruffy that guy gruffy guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh i can't think of his name dang it He's a good character. Who who is it? You have an encyclopedic of the lore. I don't remember. <sighs> so it must not have happened. It's <laughs> in the last of the gathering storm. You see, here's the thing about Trazen. He's not taking people for any reason. It's not like he sees some future where they'll be needed. He's like, oh, now this is good. This looks uh, pretty. Uh, let me just grab up. Instead of taking a picture, he takes everybody. He's like a crazy person at a flea market. He's like, oh, yeah. I need one. Oh, I definitely need one of those. I That's exactly what he's like. <laughs> so he has like no impulse control, basically. Like he would get, he like at the supermarket where they have like you're going in the um, fast checkout lane and they've got like all these things kind of surrounding <laughs> the impulse buy. He'd be like, I need one of those. 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 You yeah. know. Or at the hobby store, he'd be like. I need all these paints. I need these brushes. I need, yeah. <laughs> so the ninth edition rules, where do you guys want to start? Yeah, Carlo, why don't you kick us off here looking at the ninth edition rules PDF that's been released for free on the interwebs. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's take it apart. I think before we start doing that, we could talk about how it's formatted, right? Um, the one thing I really did like about it is that some of the rules they had released seemed a little bit wordy. But as I read them more, my little brain starts to comprehend them a little bit better. And it actually plays out very nicely that they've very well focused the way that these rules are written to be completely clear, um, as as clear as they can be so that people can't, you know, interpret them differently than what they intended as as well as they can. You know, there, there's always going to be a little bit of that, but I think they've done a nice job in wording the rulebook. And at the end of each little, so they have a section for each, um, there are a couple of paragraphs for each rule that they have in the book. And then at the end of that paragraph afterwards, they have bullet points summarizing the rule in a way where like you could almost go off of those bullet points entirely, but you should read the paragraph. But if for quick reference during a game, those bullet points are really good. And and Carlo, not to not, not not to correct you, but according to the rules, they're not paragraphs; they're chunks. They're chunks. Right. Chunks. After each after each chunk of rules, there is a red bullet point summary. <laughs> uh. You know, uh, the other thing I like about the red bullet points is it can make it easier to find what you're looking for. You find the bullet point, and then you go back. You can go above it and read the chunk. 
See, see what I did there? You can eat the chunk with your brain. <laughs> so I guess we could break it down. And I don't know how in-depth you want to go with it, but they've changed some rules, not at all. And they've changed some rules drastically. So um, if you want to talk about the phase order, they've introduced a new phase, right? Um, which will be the command the phase. Command phase. And we've talked a little bit about, and the yeah, we've talked we've talked a little bit about how your army is going to be structured in terms of detachments. I think in the last podcast, if that's right. Yes. No. Okay. Um, so uh, this command phase will now happen first, and it'll be about your um, strategic resources and use of tactical abilities is what the the book says. So uh, during that phase, you'll get your one CP every turn if your army is battle-forged. Uh, you'll resolve any rules that occur in the command phase, uh, command phase, like specific stratagems, and then you'll just progress to the movement phase. So it's a rather short phase. Um, the thing I like about it is a lot of people really love, and I've heard, I had a few friends who play like a social distance game. And they really enjoyed the generation. It's like a kind of thing alive while they're playing it, you know, because I feel like in 8th edition, you kind of, a lot of armies would just burn through command points the first turn or two. Like, you could really burn through command points in one turn and be done with it. And that's kind of like, you know, that was what made the game really fun in 8th, and that kind of was a little bit of a buzzkill when you, like, used all your command points and you are just kind of like a floating duck for the rest of the game. I, I, I love the command phase because... And this might be a weird reason. I find in AOS with the hero phase, it's a nice, it's almost, it feels almost like a pre phase reset, right? It's almost like you can take a breath, you can like look at what happened in the preceding turn, and you can, it's not supposed to be like a passive phase, but it is kind of like, a, okay, let me reassess and move on. It's like a pre movement check in with how things are going, which I like how it's, it's that, like that's built in. To the game now as opposed to just kind of taking some time and looking around the table like this you know um there's something about that that i like and i've always liked that flow in aos of having the hero phase kind of like okay let's see where are we at what's going on let, let me tell you one of the things that i i like about the command phase <clears throat> that may have been intuitive to other people you know when you're playing ad mech and you need to roll for your canicles um when you're rolling for like your litanies this puts it in a, instead of just a nebulous at the beginning of the term, it puts it in a specific phase and it makes it easier for that ad mech player to, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to do this. It also gives a, a it, I believe it'll give them an ability, the, um, the ability in the future to turn things on and off. <clears throat> when you play, I, I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and Dungeons and Dragons will say something like, hey, this effect will last until the start of your next turn. Um, and so, you know, you're going through all these other uh, people's actions in Dungeons and & Dragons, and you know that power is on until you get there. And so the command phase is a good place to actually put an ability. And some of the missions actually generate victory points in the command phase. 
So it can say at the start of the command phase, et cetera, et cetera. It gives a, it's a nice little parking spot. And let's and let's not forget that this is all, this is once you and your opponent have resolved all of the rules that occur in their respective command phases, right? So you are getting essentially two command phases per battle round, right? Because your command phase specific abilities are triggered during your opponent's command phase. Is that right? Which is cool. Yeah. Okay. So you know, one of the things if I could talk a little bit about bookends. The biggest change in the system occurs in the bookends, the command phase, which is at the beginning, and the morale phase at the end. Those are two of the areas that have some very significant changes in the game. And we can talk about that when we get there to the morale phase. But I do like the command phase. <clears throat> I do think um, I've been having some arguments with people about this, but I do think there's some changes in the system. But one of the things that I felt like Ninth Edition is doing is putting a lot of clarity into the structure of the game. You can say whether you like the new structure or not, whether you like new rules or not, but it's making the structure um, much more definitive. If you played 40K for a long time, you might not need that, 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 that skeleton to build your game on. But if you're new to the game, this will be really, really good. Mm. Um, can we scroll up just a few pages before we go on to the movement phase? Um, a couple of things that I really, I think are interesting. Um, I think the, con the condensed data sheet on page eight, I think is really interesting. Um, I think that means we're gonna start seeing some cards for units, which is great. Do they kind of look like War Scrolls a little bit to you? Like, I don't know. Just they the... look like War Scrolls and even more appropriately, they look like the cards from War Cry. The way that the icons are laid out, they do they look a lot like that. Yeah, which is great. The key here is that the, the, the name of the unit at the top of the condensed data sheet is in several of the available languages. And then there's iconography for the rest of it. So they're obviously creating like a universal design language that's really great. And uh, will make it easier to make smaller data sheets, obviously, which is great. Um, can we talk about uh, units coherency quick? In that condensed data sheet, like, what is up with that picture on the bottom left where it says one, and it's just a guy holding a, a bolter? Like, what is the point of emphasizing that bolter? Do you think they're going to have some sort of, like, printout for this where, like, when you print the data sheet out, the current model's uh, equipment choices are highlighted on that picture? Or something like that. Is that Carlo? I, I think you just you just discovered what that you just discovered a big deal here. Um, if we look closely, one in that hexagon shape is also reflected on the list of available war gear. Wait, wait, as I, one. guys, guys, wait, wait, please help me. I can't, I can't see it. Okay, okay, I got you, I got you, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, don't wait leave me. Wait a minute. So, Carlo, maybe maybe what we're seeing here is. Are we seeing what's going to be visible in the app? Yeah, I think so. I think, and I, I haven't talked to this about anybody else. Like, I just kind of noticed this just now, so it may just be something people already know about, but... You know, he's got his bolt pistol up. If you equipped him with a different um, weapon, maybe in the app, you would see a different image of that model holding that alternate weapon, which would be super smart, because sometimes... You know, if you're not super familiar with what things look like, you're not sure exactly sure which little bit to build your model with 
to to make it be that weapon. You know, it's especially true in the admech stuff. There's always little bits and bobs on things. Oh yeah, that's that that's a cool observation. That's that might be what the interface in the app looks like. And if that's the case, that's a good looking uh, a good looking way to lay out a, a cell phone screen or a tablet and show you a condensed data sheet. I wonder if you could share your list via the app. And like I, as your opponent, can see these and be like, okay, that's a bolter, or, you know, that's that's a bolt rifle, that's a blah, blah blah, you know, and be able to identify which units have what gear, kind of a thing. That's hot. Yep, that's smart. Do we know when yeah, the app is is the app dropping with ninth at the same time, or is it like yeah, kind it, of like it's a supposed word? to. <clears throat> can I tell you something? <clears throat> I think what we're looking at here is. Mm, the Outrider, you see on the left-hand side, Outrider Squad, mm-hmm. that will be the front of the card, and the other one will be the back of the card. The hmm. You're talking about the condensed status sheet on the right side will be the back of the card? Yeah, maybe. But if you look at it, you can see that it, something's cut off. It says, like, one, two, and it looks like it keeps two. scrolling down. So I don't know if that's, like... Yeah, the right size for that or not? Yeah, I think Tim's yeah, on yeah. something where it might be part of the app. Because uh, the two would be the storm bolter right underneath it, right? But then all of a sudden, it's not necessarily a condensed data sheet because if you've got a, a it's it's going to be this it would be this long, right? You'd have one through six on some models. Right? Well, I'm wondering if you could like scroll just through the pictures, but everything else stays stationary. You know what I mean? Ooh, like the picture, like that would be talking. cool. Yeah. Now you're talking. So then your repulsor, all of a sudden, you can see, okay, this is that one, this is that one, this is that one. You could scroll through all 9,000 weapons that are on the repulsor. Mm. It's going to be funny when we get this, and it's not at all what we're saying. (laughs) 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 He said, I just had to pick a picture. That's just the one I picked. (laughs) GW was like, (laughs) good idea, fellas. Hmm. Um, let's scroll. Let's scroll up to page uh, four. Let's talk unit coherency real quick, mm. which is interesting. Unit that has more than one model must be set up and finish any sort of move as a single group with all models within two inches horizontally and five inches vertically of at least one other model from their unit. While a unit has six or more models, all models must be within two inches horizontally and five inches vertically of at least two other models from their unit. That is unit coherency. No and more it, conga lines. An interesting change to our ability to conga line across a, a battlefield. Right. So there's a couple. There's a couple of things in here that I thought, I mean, was was really interesting. Now it appears that you cannot move out of coherency. You can't like take a model out of coherency. Well, you can. You can't. You could never move out of coherency in eighth, but you could remove models to put yourself out, out of, of coherency. Co- but now there's a, and we when we reach the morale phase, there's a repercussion of that. Oh. So like any models out of coherency are like removed from the board or something like that. So when we get to it, we'll talk about it. But um, I don't know if that. I'm not. I might be paraphrasing yeah, yeah, that no, you, incorrectly. No, but you, yeah, I think like you're that. right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. So the coherency is a new piece. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and just on the same page, engagement range is still an inch, but fighting range has changed. But we, we can talk about that when we get to the fight phase. Okay, let's talk about movement phase. Um, so just one real noticeable change here is that they added a 
third option. So you can either move, make a, make a normal move. You could advance, or you can remain stationary, um, which is a new, uh, war, basically a new like kind of a keyword, I guess you would say, or new rule. So I'm sure they'll reference that um, for other rules in the game, like with aggressors, like if this model remains stationary, you could fire twice or something like that. I'm sure you'll see that on the data sheet just to make it clear. Um, fall back, uh, you can move up to M inches. Units that fall back cannot charge this turn, as always. But now there's a change where units that fall back cannot shoot or manifest psychic powers which I believe they could before this turn, unless they are Titanic. So you used to be able to fall back and at least manifest psychic powers. Now that's changed. Um, some changes to the fly keyword that I don't think are mentioned in this uh, block, and we could probably cover it later in the book when we get to it, just because I don't want to reference it incorrectly, but that also is affected in the fallback phase, the fly keyword models. So, um, yeah, flyers, yeah, flyers cannot fall back and shoot anymore. Hey, Carlo, can we come back to this for a second? Because I think I may have read this incorrectly the first time, and I'm looking at it now. So, move, advance, and remain stationary. I'm sorry, move, advance, and remain. Normal move, advance, remain stationary, and fall back. Okay? Hold on. Um, they all appear to be unit decisions. You agree with that? Mm -hmm. Select a unit so, when a unit moves. Units that are within a gauge range. So below. here's my yep. question. If a model, can a model in a unit remain stationary? While the rest of the unit move advance and makes a normal move, no, I don't believe so. No, no. So you can't like so, for having weapon purposes, it's going to affect the whole unit. Yeah, it, th yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. Right. Yeah, if a unit remains stationary, none of its models can be moved for the rest of that phase. Uh, when a unit makes a normal move, each model in that unit can move a distance in in inches equal to or less than the move characteristic shown in the data sheet. Yeah. So you cannot get the remain stationary keyword or thing if any of the units in that, if any models in that unit did a normal move. It, does that seem right? I mean, it, I, I, this is what I'm reading here. Yeah, I mean, you I can choose not right. to move, you can choose not to move a model in a unit, but, but that, that model counts as having moved. Right, because it just yeah. moves zero. Correct. Okay, we'll have to see how that rule plays out right right um second half of the uh, movement phase carlo reinforcements okay uh so this is like a kind of a throwback to some older rules that they're kind of bringing back but um new for for going from eighth to ninth um some units have a rule that allows them to start the battlefield in a location other than on the battlefield units that use such rules are called reinforcements and they will arrive later in the battlefield as described by their rule. Um, any reinforcement units that have not been set up on the battlefield when the battle ends count as having been destroyed. 
So really quickly, that leads me to believe that you can bring them in on any turn, unless otherwise specified. Whereas before in 8th edition, usually most things had to come in by turn 3, or would be count as being destroyed. So I'm interested to see how that... That's going to be a big change to the game, being able to bring units in on turn 4 or 5, 6 or whatever. You know, um, So we'll read like the little red bullet points um, so reinforcement unit that starts on the battlefield and a location other than the battlefield. You set up your reinforcement units one at a time as described by the rules to let them start in the battlefield in locations other than the battlefield. Reinforcement units cannot make a normal move and advance a fallback or remain stationary this turn. So I guess interesting that they can't make count as having remained stationary. So that means like yes. any unit that benefits from that rule um is like a an aggressor like we talked about isn't going to be able to double fire on the turn it comes in right because it counts as having moved onto the board i guess right yep so reinforced units always count as having moved this turn correct yeah that's it yep and then any reinforcement unit not set up by the battlefield end is destroyed and once all year in reinforcement units have been set up progress to the psychic phase so that's kind of at the I guess that's at the end of the movement phase, is what they say. Like you're forced to proceed to the psychic phase after you've set up reinforcements. Um, so it's kind of in line of every stratagem and eighth or whatever or deep strike rule, where once they come down, they come down at the as counting at the end of the movement phase. But I think now they're trying to eliminate that. Um, kind of limbo area where like the end of the movement phase was its own phase. So you didn't really know if certain stratagems applied during that, like the regular movement phase or at the end of the movement phase. So now they've kind of cleared that up a little bit. Um, moving over terrain models can move freely over terrain features, one inch or less in height. Um, they cannot move through taller terrain features, but can climb up and down them. Obviously, this may be affected depending on uh, the last podcast we talked about the different um, keywords or modifiers that are given to terrain pieces that you can kind of like build your own terrain pieces. So depending on what kind of terrain piece it is, it may allow movement through. Um, we don't really know yet, so we'll have to wait and see. So but, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I want to say, if you're playing a game, no matter what, now more than ever, the terrain is a part of the game, and that is an open discussion you should have with your opponent early. Um, I have played some games, um, especially when it was teaching, this might have been overboard, where I actually had a little card. So people could remember, hey, this is that, this is this, this is that, um, it, especially for newer players. But I had that discussion about terrain early in the game. I feel like a lot of people, like you bring it up, I feel like a lot of people don't do that. And it could so, it could be such an effect on your game that improves it so much that you really are helping yourself and your opponent by doing that. So that's a good thing to bring up. Right. Well, I think. Um, uh, so we're at the section with fly keyword. Uh, so, which we just talked about, they can, Fly models can move over other models when they make a normal move and advance or when they fall back. So notably, charge, heroic intervene, and 
like pylon and stuff like that are not in here, right? So specifically only normal move advance and fallback. And fly models ignore vertical distances when they make a normal move and advance and when they fall back. Um, so again, no change, like, so they change it so that it doesn't reference the fact that it can shoot after falling back, so therefore it can't anymore. Um, any any words on that, or do you guys want to move on to transports? No, transports, transports, or let's go. Yeah, the... um. And they look, it looks very, very similar to what we saw on 8th. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of difference in transports. But, but again, but, if, you, if you disembark, it does count as having moved, so you cannot consider yourself having remained stationary. Even if you do not, you, you can move after you disembark, but if you don't, you still count as having moved. I'd like to go on to aircrafts. Because one of the things that I noticed about aircraft, which makes so much more sense now, is you actually can ignore the aircraft base unless you're another aircraft. Did I get that right? Uh, you can move within its engagement range. You can move over it and their bases. I don't think you can end a move like inside of the aircraft's base like silhouette. Oh, oh you know right. I mean? oh. But, like, you can, but like, yeah, for all other intents and purposes, for sure, you can ignore it. Um, so, right. You So you can't stand your model on my aircraft base. Right. Like you can't overlap the base, but everything else, you can move directly next to it within engagement range. Two things that really was a game changer. One, you can move within engagement range and not have to worry about them unless you're another flyer. The other piece that's interesting is they can leave the board now. If they leave the board, they go into strategic reserves, which makes a lot of sense. So you can't just like force them off the board to be destroyed right because well, they have no place to land. I've seen some people. Remember we were we were um, commenting on that um, tournament where he had two flyers that had to crash and burn because there was no place to land. But now you can zoom them off the board. You lose their, you you lose any access to them on the turn they zoom off the board, but on the next turn they can come back in. What's interesting is to follow up on that, if uh, the second half of the, um, the minimum move rule here for aircraft, if a model cannot make its minimum move, or if its minimum move would result in any part of that model, including its base crossing the edge of the battlefield, then unless you were using the strategic reserves rule, that unit is removed. Eh, then that unit is removed from the battlefield and counted as, as being destroyed. So unless you take it off completely, it's still going to vaporize, right? It's still going down. Hey, sorry, read that again? What, what are you looking at? So the second paragraph of minimum move under aircraft. If an aircraft cannot make its minimum move or its minimum move would result in any part of that model crossing the edge of the battlefield, that unit is counted as being destroyed. So unless your minimum move can take it completely off the battlefield edge. Wow, interesting. So you have to have enough room. Let's say most minimum moves are 20 inches, right? Right. You have to have enough room to go 20 inches down the board. Right. And then use your like supplementary, supplementary move characteristic to then proceed off the board. So you can screen a flyer off the table still yeah, by, f- by making it impossible to make its minimum move. Yes. But you just can't like conga line stuff down the long side of the board and force it off like, like that. So I guess it, it makes it a little bit more fair 
for flyers. I'm interested to see how people work. Like, you know, if it's going to be advantageous to take a flyer off the board, turn two or three to put it back on the next turn, you know, is that, is that going to be like a move worth making so that you can bring it on in a better spot, you know, maybe next to one of your characters, give it a reroll buff, you know, cause some of the, you know, if you're moving it up with a captain or something and he's not going to be as fast as the flyer is, it might be worth it to like fly the flyer off the board and bring it back just so it can't take any damage and can like make use of the rerolls the next turn or something, you know? At the end of the aircraft rule page, um, heroic intervention pylons or consolidates, it must end that move closer to the closest enemy model, of course. In all cases, aircraft models are excluded when determining which model is the closest unless the unit making that move can fly. So they're differentiating so, there between flyer and aircraft. Yeah. So that's different now because you used, you used to be able to, there was kind of a rules gap where you couldn't charge a, a a flyer unless you had fly, but you could heroically intervene into it. So people would heroically intervene the uh, the uh, mirror. I forget the actual name of the epitome. I think it's called. And then the contorted epitome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, they'd capture uh, capture the flyer in combat, and then you can't fall back from that model. So it would just auto be auto destroyed. So I think that that's a rules change specifically because of that interaction. Just tidies that up a little bit, yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, let's move on to the psychic phase. Um, yeah, so select a major bullet point. Select a psyker in your army to manifest a psychic power. Select another psyker in your army to manifest its psychic powers. Once all your psychers have manifested psychic powers, progress to the shooting phase. So um, doesn't look like much is different. Uh I don't know if you've seen anything that has changed. Uh, double ones or double sixes are pearls of the warp. Yep. Um, deny the witch is still 2d6 exceeding the opposing psycho psychic test. Um, only one attempt can be made to each deny, to deny each psychic power. Smite it increases by one for every additional smite attempt you make. Um, has to be the closest visible unit still. D6 mortal wounds on 11 plus still. Um, with the exception of smite, you cannot attempt to manifest the same psychic power more than once in the same round, even with different units. That's still holding true. Yeah, I think psychic phase is pretty much the same. Uh, Except for now the Sisters of Silence have a stratagem called Desperation's Price. Use this stratagem in your opponent's psychic phase. When an enemy psyker unit within 18 inches of a Sisters of Silence infantry suffers pearls of the work, the Psyker suffers an additional D3 mortal wounds. Ooh, yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That could um, be 2D3. Th there's just a little clarification on Perils of the Warp here, too. The, um, the power, if you do suffer perils, the, the, if the unit is destroyed by perils, then the power automatically fails to manifest. But if you do, say you get a 12, you do manifest the power, but you take the D3 mortal wounds unless that kills you. Is this rule, if a psyker unit is destroyed, every other unit within six inches suffers Z3 mortal wound? Was that always in effect? Yeah. Yep. I don't know okay. if it was six. It might have been three inches before. I got a, mm. it might be six. Or it might have been like a mod modified like D6 inches or something. I can't remember. Mm. Uh, but it was something like that. Yeah. Uh, Carla, let's do shooting phase. Okay. Shooting phase, a little, a couple changes here. Um, 
So now monsters and vehicles can shoot ranged weapons even with an engagement range. Uh, uh, the puppy is chewing on my ox cord. Hey, <laughs> girl. Good girl. All right. Um, monsters and vehicles can target other units but cannot resolve these attacks while any enemy models remain within their engagement range. So you can't like shoot at things that are in engagement range, but you yourself can shoot from engagement range um, as a monster or vehicle. Um, and then subtract one from hit rolls made when monsters and vehicles shoot heavy weapons while any enemy units remain within their engagement range. So it's going to affect you to shoot those big guns from close combat, but you could still do it. Um, locked in combat is the same, pretty much. Wait, huh? is lookouts uh, different? Um, yes, so the way that that has changed, so lookouts are now the new rule. I mean, it used to be a rule in older editions um, that involved like taking right. wounds for characters but now it is taking the place of the character targeting rule so now it says you cannot shoot an enemy character with nine or less wounds while with while it is within three inches of a friendly unit uh monster or vehicle or unit of three plus models so if, if it's a monster or vehicle it could be a one model unit if it's an infantry unit it has to be three plus models unless it is the closest target so the way that that has changed now is that before it used to be like, like if I'm shooting at your character, if there's another one of your units in any part of that space in between, I couldn't shoot at it. Now you have to have that character within three inches of another friendly unit for that to work. And that unit has to be closer okay, or a unit has to be closer. So. Carl, I need some help picking this apart mm -hmm. now. Right now, if there is a unit in a building that you can't see, right. but it's closer to that character, you couldn't shoot the character. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So even though that uh, that unit was not a viable target. Correct. The one that's in the building. Okay. But now, you, if there that that character now has to be close to another unit, in order for it not to be targeted. Correct. Like you could still have that unit in the building <laughs> being the unit in between, but the character needs to be within three inches of a friendly unit as well. That, right. that friendly unit can also be the unit that's closer um, for okay. that reason as well. Yeah, it doesn't say visible unit at all under lookout, sir. Mm -hmm. So that unit can be anywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you got your character running around holding the objective, He's not safe unless somebody's with him. Correct. Yeah, he's got to have some buddies. So I think you're going to, you know, you're going to see less um, characters like flying around the board, like shield captains and stuff like that. You know, it's going to be dangerous for them to do that. So yeah. I want to point this out. There is a, in the Necron, um, the Necron army, in the new Necron forces, it's in the, Indominus kit, there is an attachment that you, it's not really an attachment, it's a unit, and if that unit is within I think three inches of a Cryptek, you can't target him at all. 
which is a it's it's a little bit different from this rule and it's pretty powerful. Interesting. So you said if there's this unit is within three inches of a cryptech, it can't be targeted. So they kind of protect each other in that scenario. No, the the cryptech can't oh, be the targeted. The cryptech can't can't be targeted. Right. So um I don't know, maybe that'll that might remain. It's kind of. It might remain. Yeah, maybe like a because like you like a bodyguard unit. Yeah, exactly. Because you could you could then at that point have the cryptech still be closer, but then he like can't be targeted. So you could like hide those guys somehow if you can keep them within three inches of him. Right. And to recap, looking at big guns never tire again. We had talked about this last episode too, but you can, uh, you know, vehicles and monsters can shoot uh, even if other friendly units are within engagement range. And if they have more than one weapon, they can assign hits to units outside of engagement range and shoot at them as long as they destroy the units within engagement range first. Right. The way I've seen this is you've got a bunch of models around you. You got your last cannon and your heavy bolter. And um, what you do is you 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 would declare my last cannon is shooting at your Titan and my heavy bolters are shooting at the troops around me. I resolve the heavy bolter shots. And if I clear away all your troops, then I can shoot the last cannon. Otherwise, if one of those guys still remain, I'm still engaged. I then cannot even though I declared it because I have to declare first. I then cannot shoot the last cannon. Um, let's look at some changes to ranged weapons, ranged weapon types. Which is uh, which? There are changes. The biggest one being blast hey, weapons. Be- before we go on, I yeah. have to tell you, I really like the iconography. I really like it. It does something for me. It gives me a great understand. It's it's rather it's easier to look at it visually and see. Yeah, it is nice. Like the rapid fire is the two bullets. So we're saying, and like the grenade is a picture of a grenade, and that's that's going to come into play on those. Sorry. That's going to come into play on those, uh, shortened data sheets we were talking about earlier. Cause if you yes, and them, the app. Yeah. 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 So the blast weapons work like this. So if you're shooting at a unit with six or more models, the minimum you will get is half the role. Am, am I saying this right? If a blast weapon targets a unit that has between six and 10 models, it makes a minimum of three attacks. Okay, I'm assuming D6. Mm-hmm. And if it targets a unit with 11 or more models, you get the maximum number. Here's an example. A grenade is a, um, is a blast weapon. D6, right. <laughs> right and it's, it's a grenade D6. Mm-hmm. If the unit has five... Uh, okay, so listen. If the unit has six models in it that you're throwing the grenade, you'll roll the D6, and the minimum that that, that roll can be is a three. Minimum three, maximum six. Yes. If it if the unit has eleven, it's eleven parks walkers charging you, and you're throwing the um, grenade. Then all of a sudden, it's going to automatically be six. Yes. I think this is going to make those intercessor grenade launchers even better than they are now, because you're going to be able to like shoot the like a six shot grenade thirty six inches from your. Hold on. Yeah. Who has that strat that allows everybody to throw a grenade? Uh, oh. a, there's a few armies, I think, and um, I I want to say that G- GSC has the ability to do that. I want to say that orcs have the ability to do that. Mm. Uh, That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's a blanket of destruction, a blanket of blast weapons, right there. Absolutely, that is pretty cool. 
Good call. Yeah, so good call. somebody said, and I was watching it somewhere, they said that the key to this this addition, I don't necessarily agree with it, are going to be a lot of minimum units. I don't know if I agree with that. I think so because of the unit coherency is why people are saying that. And the way that the new morale rules work, it kind of it almost encourages that. But, um, you know, I think that is yet to be, like, like you're saying, that's yet to be seen. You know, we got to see how all the other rules play out. They may give some big advantages to large units that kind of encourages people to build them. So, Okay, so now here's the big thing. Let's go on to actually making attacks. Let's. So this is a big rule, and 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 I, I'm having just a little bit of trouble with the math, just a little bit. The hit roll, you add all your modifiers, minus one to hit, plus two to hit, whatever it is. At the end of the day, that roll can only be modified by plus one or minus one. Did I get that right? A hit roll can never be modified by more than minus one or plus one. Yes. So okay. basically, like your um, modifiers can stack, but at the end of... Um, where all that math is being done, the most you can go is minus one or plus one. So that you could still stack like multiple, you know, it's like you can get to minus four, but then it um, gets converted to minus one for the purposes of uh, the hit roll. I think the other modifiers can stack to like strength, toughness, stuff like that. No. So you can modify a stat. Mm -hmm. It's the actual roll that can't be modified anymore. Right. Everybody got the difference? That's a good way to look at it, yeah. So I think I have this highlighted. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, one thing, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. A damage roll, no matter what, an unmodified hit roll of one always fails. An unmodified hit roll of six always succeeds. Okay? And both hit and wound rolls cannot be modified by plus or minus one. So you can't ever be plus eight to hit or plus eight to wound. Right. It's always going to be plus one. So now, gentlemen, if we could all put on our waiters and sally forth straight into this Storm Shield debacle. <laughs> Go for it. Storm Shield says it gives you plus one or minus one to your save roll. So a, a, a space marine with a save roll of three plus with a storm shield will be will have a save roll of two plus. So the storm shield gives you a plus a minus one to your save. So now you're saving on a two plus. OK, you got it. So one of the things that the storm shield doesn't say is it doesn't say if it 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 doesn't exclude invulnerable saves. Why would it? The new Storm Shield rule gives plus one to the save characteristic, which to makes the, it to a the characteristic, not to the roll. That's the important thing right there. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Which I gave a bad example. This is better. Which makes it a hard one plus save. That means because dice can't be modified below one, that effectively means units with a two plus save and a Storm Shield, as in a Terminator has a two plus plus invulnerable, I'm sorry, a two plus invulnerable save because it's plus one. One more time, sorry. The example he gives is, I have a termi or custode 
with a storm shield. Okay. That gives it a plus one save to my armor and a four plus invulnerable save. My natural two plus armor value becomes a one plus armor value. Sure. Okay. Savings throw affects your dice roll, not your save characteristics. So if I roll a two and I'm facing a minus four AP, I subtract four from two. Yep. I cannot modify the, a dice below one. So even though I rolled a two and I'm having to subtract four, I end up with the final result of one. My saving characteristic of one is one plus, which passes even against an AP minus four. Yes. The roll of four yep. with the roll of two because the final result is one. Sure. You, the only thing you're going to uh, fail on is an unmodified roll of one. Correct. So right now I have my, my children and my neighbors downstairs cutting off the arm of all my custodians. <laughs> so I can move back on the storm shield that I had minimizing each unit because you know what? I'm going to just roll up with 10 custodians with this, uh, the swords that do the same damage and, um, and, um, you know, have at you. And they're not going anywhere. Yeah, that's right. They're going to just keep moving, 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 moving. I thought, I feel like that's going to get FAQ or something, but in the meantime, uh, keep cutting downstairs. Take advantage. <laughs> Take advantage. <laughs> right. So I thought that was that was that was pretty interesting. So that that's an inter interesting interaction. We'll have to see how they resolve it. Um, nothing changed with mortal wounds or invulnerable save. Um, I, I think this was always in place. A model can only use one rule to attempt to ignore each wound suffered. No, that maybe it wasn't. Because if you had a feel no pain and a disgusting resilient, I think you might have been able to use that both. Again, that, that reduces the number of rolls and the streamlined thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you can only ignore a wound that you've taken using one rule, which makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Now let's talk about charges. Charging. Here's the biggest thing that I like about charge that change. Yeah. You ever see those guys? And I used to be one of them, but I'm reformed. I'm charging this unit, this unit, this unit, this unit. Let's see what I get. Now, if you declare more than one charge, unless you make it into contact with every unit that you charge, your charge fails and you don't move. Yes. So you can't say, well, I didn't make it there, but I'm charging these guys and then I'll pile into them. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the first thing. But before we get to that charge, the big thing is no longer can anybody except the tile freely overwatch. Overwatch is a stratagem you can only use once. It's a one CP stratagem. Um, and so you have to decide what you're going to do your overwatch on. Really? Yes. Now, the difference, though, is Wait, how uh, their weapon's free. I'm looking at overwatch now. Certain rules enable units to fire overwatch in an enemy unit before it can charge. If an enemy unit declares a charge that targets one or more units from your army and has a rule, each of those units can fire. Oh, so it's not a default ability to everybody anymore. It's specific to the unit. Interesting. What it is is it's a it's a um it's a standard stratagem that everybody can get, like the interrupt stratagem is standard and it's one CP. <clears throat> the only thing is so and since it's a stratagem, you can only use it once per phase. Now the tile don't have that ability, don't have to worry about that. And they, it came up when they faction focus, they can can't continue to do that. And it's a stratagem for everyone. It's not just a rule given to certain units. That's correct. Wow. Overwatch is a stratagem. Now there's something else. You know how you could heroically intervene. Sure. 
you can heroically intervene. But if I charge your your unit of um of uh, Skitari and you heroically intervene with your um your uh you know tech priest, now because you heroically intervene, I can select the tech priest as a target. And the rule is still for heroic intervention. It's still a must end closer to the must end closer to the closest enemy model, not the not necessarily the models right. that are closest to the units that you're heroically intervening with. Yeah. Right. So cool. um, they talk about flying when you charge. When you can you can move over other models when you make a charge move. You can move over terrain like any other model when you make a charge move. So fly can still do that. Now select a unit from your enemy to from your army to charge with. Charge with that unit. Yes. Select another unit from your army to charge with. So you charge with that unit. Each charge is different. Yeah. And it's resolved. And I, I see some people. It, listen, if you can hear me, this is important. There is no need to declare all your charges at the same time. Right. Take your time. Do your charges one at a time. If they see everything that's charging then they can decide how they're going to do their overwatch. Mm-hmm. The, the one at a time thing versus overwatch, the rules change is that's a big change to the charge phase. Yes. Sorry, keep going. Okay. So in the fight phase, this it, it's, it's pretty much the same. There's only some difference. Well, I'm sorry. I just lied. It's some difference. <laughs> There's a difference. Okay. <laughs> so a model can fight if it's an engagement range of an enemy. So your model has to be within one inch of a model to fight. So that's your front row. But check out this next one. A model can fight if it's within half an inch of another model from their own unit that is within half an inch of an enemy unit. So if my model is one inches away, I can fight. If your model is right behind my model, it cannot fight. My model has to be within half an inch of the enemy unit, and you have to be within half an inch of me. That is going to reduce the amount of, of hits that a um, a horde can get in. Exactly. Yeah, it, it makes, it really p- forces you to, you got to get really lucky on those charge rolls and you really need to pack in to these fight scenarios right. to, get the, to get the front row within a half inch so that the row behind it from by a half inch can also attack. So watch your pollens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what you want to do. Watch your pollens, bring your pollens in and make sure that you're thinking it through. Don't grab your models if you got a bunch of models and just shove them all in there. Be very, very careful about what you're going to do there because it matters. Charging units still fight first. Uh, Pylons are still three inches. You must end closer to the closest enemy model. Engagement range is still in effect, but the half-inch change is important, like Lavelle just said. Select targets. If the attacking unit made a charge move this turn, its models can only target units it declared a charge against this turn or Units that performed a heroic intervention this turn. Sure. So there's a little clarity there. Yeah. Right. That's, 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 a, that's a redefinition. Um, select targets for all attacks before attacks are, attacks are resolved. That's standard. Um, selecting weapons. Da, 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 da. Yeah, not too many changes on that page 22. Yeah, but you know, the thing about it is the changes that are here, they, they warrant you thinking about before you like the half inch the heroic yeah. intervention half inch is huge yeah mm-hmm. i like that because people used to heroically intervene with models that they would not normally put in harm's way because they feel like they're going to get a free swing all right now i've mastered the morale test tell tell, tell me about the morale phase okay morale now has two tests th- i'm sorry 
there are three things you need to check in the morale phase. First, just like before, you take the number of models that you lost and you roll a D6 and you compare it to your leadership, okay? If the number is greater than your leadership, you automatically lose one model, okay? That's the morale test, but there's something. So the morale test in and of itself is great, yay! But now there's something else. After that, you take a combat attrition test. For every model that's remaining in your unit, because after you fail the morale test, you roll a D6. And for every one, an additional model flees. However, you subtract one from the combat attrition test if the unit is below its half strength. I want to pause right here. I'm a big marker guy. And I think it's worthwhile to have a marker to note when your units are below half strength. It'll help you remind, it'll help remind you. I, I don't like going back. If I forget something, if, you know, if it benefits my opponent, I'll allow them to go back. But if I forget something, I like the discipline of moving forward, make myself remember it. So we took the morale test where we could lose one model. Then we took the combat attrition test where if we rolled a one, we could lose another model on any one, just like if you're getting out of a destroyed vehicle. But however, if you're below half strength, that means if you start with five models, if you're down to two models, if you roll a one or a two, a model will, will go. Now, here was the big thing. After that, you take your, your unit coherency check. Remove any model in your army that's not in unit coherency. One more time. At this point, we did our, we were doing a morale check. Yep. Then we did our attrition check. And now we're doing a unit coherency check. Oh. And a unit coherency is different based on the mod, the unit size. So let's kind of go back up to the top page and, and let's come back. Hold on, hold on. Let's talk about, again, because now coherency matters. Your coherency is normally two inches horizontally, five inch vertically, okay? If the unit has six or more models, each model must be in unit coherency with two different models. Now, here's an important thing to remember. You could start with 10 models and you have to be within two, within, um, two inches of two models. Every model has to be within two inches of two other models. And then once you drop to five models, it becomes just two inches with one model. This is the part where you get you suffer from being out of coherency. So a lot thing, a lot more is going on in this morale test. And especially true with that coherency check, if you're forced to remove models due to the morale test or the combat attrition test, then you're going to lose even more models if the failure of those two previous tests result in you falling out of coherency. That's why it's sequenced this way, right? So you could potentially lose, you know, a third model if you lost two out of a of a unit of ten, if the loss of those first two make make the make the third model fall out of of coherency. Let me just tell you, I played a um, I played a game with somebody, and. Um, I think we did this right, but it was so smart the way he played it. I wanted to flip the table. My custodians had moved in on his unit and we had fought. There was no way they could do anything. I had caught him up. He failed his morale test and he removed the models that put him in coherency. I'm sorry, that put him in combat. So when he done, when he was done with that, he was out of combat. And I was like, ooh, yeah, that doesn't say what you can move. That's nice. Yep. 
Let's look at the missions, um, objective markers. Or well, first, the mission instructions are, are largely the same. You got to muster an army. You got to read the briefing. You got to build the battlefield. Let's just talk about this for a second. This is so intelligent because a lot of times you roll a mission, you start setting up, but this structures you. I've been in a lot of tournaments. Um, Joe runs a couple of tournaments that actually tell you step by step. Right, do these what things. To do. Yeah, do these sure. things, and it was really, really good. I like the fact so, that they're here, especially for new players too. This is a really clear way to get models on the table, which is nice. Yeah. Right, and you know the other thing is for us experienced players, it can make us slow down. Slow down. Okay, we must our armies. Okay, then we read the mission briefing. Then we create the battlefield. Now that means that given the mission, we're creating the battlefield. Then we deploy our forces. You deploy. I think. Um, um, it will tell you how to deploy. Does it tell you? Hold on a second. Must roll off again. The winner chooses one of the two deployment zones. I'm in to deploy forces. This is just for this mission. Once the battlefield has been created, the players roll off again. And the first one was for um, um, setting up the terrain. Hmm. The winner chooses one of the two deployment zones to be theirs. The players then alternate deploying their units. So we're back to that. Yep. We'll, we alternate unit. plan. And then once all that's done, we just straight roll to determine the first turn. Mm -hmm. No more seize the initiative. Seize the initiative was really, really exciting, but it could it added a level of randomness to the strategy. And so if I think I'm going first, you know, I, I, I feel good about taking out seizing the initiative, I think. Yeah, it was it was a really quick way to pop somebody's balloon if you just happened to seize on them and it was too much randomness for that big of a a move. Yeah. That big of a game determining factor. Yeah. So and then after that, one of the things that's different that in this mission here, most missions appear to only be five turns. Okay. Five it's clear five turns, you know cool. what's going on. Um, I thought that was really, really interesting. And they give the battlefield size, the point size and the duration for their missions. But I want to say something. One of the things that they I, I got the feel from it when I listened to all the briefings and everything. There, it, there are no games workshop police. So you and your opponent can talk. You can say we want to pay on a larger field size, a smaller field size, whatever you agree on. Um, there's some space in here for you to adjust the the, the rule to your liking. I um when I saw the new tape battlefield size, I got a little suspicious. I took my tape measure and I went downstairs and I realized why this rule is going to end marriages. Because <laughs> the battlefield size is exactly the size of a typical dining room table. Isn't that great? It's just great. Yeah, it's just <laughs> I'm like, wow, get rid of all these dishes. I just, I just need this table real quick, just for a couple hours. Right. Hours and so I thought that was interesting. And the way they give you the um, power level size. Yeah, that's nice. The um, uh, Let's look up on page 24, objective markers, 40 millimeter round markers. You are within range, within three inches horizontally and vertically of any edge of that marker. Um, objective markers controlled by the player with the most models in range. Aircraft and fortifications cannot control them. And objective secured is beneath that. Uh, control the objective marker of any of their models in range have the ability of objective secured. All right, so one thing I wanna talk about before we close out this section. And again, I had, um, I had a conversation with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um, a gaming group here in Philly, which apparently I'm a part of. I'm in a lot of gaming groups. Because <laughs> I want to be able to play every night of the every week. Night. <laughs> I just want to roam around. Hey! 
So we had a big discussion about power level versus points. Mm. I almost always play points instead of power levels. Yeah. What they told me was, and I have to play some games. They said power levels can even out the differences in armies. And what they described to me is, you know, if you do points, when you start kidding your people out with the effective weapons, it's going to reduce the number of models and the units that you can have. Mm -hmm. When you do power level, you don't have to worry about that. Mm. So I thought that was interesting. And I'm, I, I'd like to hear, you know, if anybody could respond to our Facebook page or our, our, our Instagram, any comments that they have about that, because I've almost always played points, but they said that try a couple of game of power levels and you'll see how it can even out the flow between the two armies which I thought was interesting. Have you played power levels, Sam? I've only played a handful of power level games, and I found them just as evenly matched, which might have just been the armies and who I was playing against, but I found them just as evenly matched. Um, I think you know, the intent is, as you said, to kind of smooth out some of those differences and make it easier to muster an army. Um, but I'd be curious to see because I, I think in one of the presentations they mentioned they were retooling the power level, power levels of everything across all armies. They were going to make some changes to the, the, the points cost for each power level, if you will. Um, so I wonder if that'll affect that. Of course, I mean, obviously it'll affect that balance, but I wonder how that'll play out. Well, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Um, to, to, Wait, can we come back to this one mission that they've revealed? Yes. And then I want to talk about open war. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that they give you in the mission, right, is that your warlord trait, you have a warlord trait, which appears to be an additional warlord trait. Okay, let me see. Once you have mustered your army, select one of your models to be your warlord. That model gains the warlord keyword. If the, your warlord has the character keyword, they will have a warlord trait, which you choose now. Oh, no. Any warlord can have the inspiring leader warlord trait. Mm -hmm. Alternative warlords can be found in other publications. Which so you, is can just, pick, you can pick inspiring leader. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, and this mission right here, they have slay the warlord, scores one victory point, capture and control. And each of the players command and eat at the end of each player's command phase. The player whose turn it is scores one victory point for each objective marker they currently control. Mm. Okay, and so that's an important piece to this. But some of the um, um, battle reps that I've been seeing for ninth edition have way more victory points, and they were racking the points up. Mm. And they have secondaries. Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah. We had, we had mentioned some of that in talking about Mike Brandt's article on Warhammer Community uh, two episodes ago, I think. Yeah. Right. So that that that'll it'll be good to see. Um, I like what I'm seeing so far. Again, one of the things that I have to say, I like games, workshops, engagement with the community. Mm -hmm. Normally, they make us wait for everything, but they've been kind of stringing us along with breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs, helping us get a have room for arguments and discussions, and that's really good. So I'm really, really excited about it, and that's why I've ordered quite a few sets. That's great. Um, they are releasing an open war deck right from the jump. Which is awesome. So you can deal a uh, you can deal a hand of a few cards to determine uh, new missions for the game, which include deployments, uh, objectives, and uh, twists and tricks that happen throughout the game, which is exciting. Um, they are releasing new a new combat gauge 
which now I imagine will measure that half inch for us. Um, they are releasing a new terrain kit, I think, right off the jump, some new terrain pieces. Um, and there was something else in that list that's coming out day one. Objective markers, there's new Munitorum objective markers, which will be good. Um, I think that was it. I'm most excited about, I mean, I'm most excited about the, the, the new open war deck coming out right from the jump because I did enjoy that a lot in eighth edition, the ability to deal a, uh, to deal up a, a game uh, completely fresh. It's kind of exciting. I, I have to tell you, Tim, I think um, in this upcoming edition, probably when I get back to gaming regularly, I think I'm going to focus more on narrative games as opposed to competitive games. Um, I don't mind competitive games, but I like the story that's created with narrative game. That doesn't mean I'm gonna be using their new crusade system um, because the, I'm fortunate to have a group of people that I play with across the board that are really good at understanding the lore and making up the scenario and playing to the scenario. And so I was trying to explain to somebody, you know, sometimes your objective is not to win, your objectives could be just to survive. Mm. And it's consistent with the lore and everything. So I'm really, really excited about it. Likewise. Yeah. It appears, and I have not seen the complete book yet, but it appears that as part of the normal scoring, there is a point, uh, I think, awarded or subtracted for painting. And so I I am a, a, a big fan of painting and, and all of those aspects. But I don't think it should be added into the game as a point. I like it when you're at a tournament and there's a, a painting award. I do like those. I like to see all the displays. But I, I think some people feel that, and I agree, hobbying is part, I'm sorry, modeling is part of the hobby, but it's not part of the game. I made the comment to, to some people that I think the hobby consists of modeling, uh, the lore, playing the game, and a bunch of other aspects. But I think the game itself should stand on its own. It seems to me like adding that in is a barrier. If you're a, if you, it doesn't, it's not for painting. It's whether or not your army is painted. If you have more time than me, if you have more money than me, then you're going to automatically get a point. What do you guys think about that? That's a really good point. And like, I was on the other side of the fence until you just said that. I think that last, last uh, sentence there kind of like, you kind of very well wrapped that point up. Like I, I was on the side, like, I think people should paint their armies because it does improve the quality of the game most of the time. But you're right, like, not everybody has the time. Not everybody has the resources, you know. Some people just want to play the game, and they want to feel the, you know, they, they get a good feeling from playing the game. Maybe they don't get that same good feeling from painting, and then they shouldn't be required to do so. I like the way you said that, Carl. Tim, what do you think? I agree. I think it. I think especially now, as we're emerging from a stay-at-home situation, when we want to get as many pe people as possible back to stores playing these games, especially with the launch of a new edition, I think anything that's going to make somebody feel like they can't isn't isn't shouldn't fly, right? There should be like as few. This is already very expensive. It's already very time-consuming, right? There should be as few barriers to entries beyond you know the the initial cost of entry uh it's like it's like plant paying a high cover charge to get into a club and then having like a super intense like drink a minimum or you know a, or whatever once you get inside the door right uh, i think any any barriers like that shouldn't uh, shouldn't affect the outcome of the game 
Right. So, you know, the other thing that Carlo made me think of is the other thing is there are sometimes there are people who are great painters, but slow painters. They like the process. They like to go through it and they build their models and then they go through painting. I think they should while you're going through that, you should still be able to play. Playing is the most important thing to the game, not necessarily to the hobby, but to the game. Playing is the most important thing. Agreed. Yes. Although, as Carlos said, I I do much rather, of course, play a well-painted army, or at least an army that has attempted to be painted. It does bother me on a personal level when it's just when it's just glued together plastic, and especially when it's glued together plastic that wasn't even properly trimmed off the sprues. (laughs) You know that. Or there's like a little. (laughs) I'm 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 critiquing this trimming. (laughs) It's funny, like um. I think that's that's a really funny observation that I think we all kind of went through in a stage as hobbyists when we started playing these games. I know I did. Um, if I look back at the first couple space wolves I painted, the first couple units, they all have flashing still on them. There's like blocks <laughs> on like a backpack. There'll be like a block of a sprue still connected. I'm like, oh, like what? I'm kind of glad Primaris like are starting to phase out the old Marines a little bit because that means I don't have to go back and fix those guys unless I really want to make an aesthetic point to do so. You know, <laughs> I remember one Saturday I had gone into a store and um, it was a store here in the Philadelphia area. And there was a little kid there. and He wasn't that little. Maybe he was 12 or something like that. And he had his army all built, but it wasn't painted. And he wanted a game. And he was sitting there by himself. And the owner of the store said, hey, he's waiting for a game. Can you play him? I can lend you some models. I said, oh, what do you mean lend me some models? I got my models out here in the trunk. <laughs> and so I did play him. And, you know, it was a really good game. And it turned out to be close. It was low points. And. I was teaching him along the way, but the main thing was he had a lot of fun, and because I'm a great teacher, he won. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that would have been, you know, if he would have felt like, well, I can't play, or this guy's going to have an advantage just because he's he's a veteran and I'm a rookie, you know, that wouldn't have been right. Yeah, and, and you hear those stories a lot where, you know, it's like the opposite of your story where the person maybe was on the other end and question with somebody who wasn't as willing to teach or you know maybe just doesn't understand how to teach and yeah just like steamrolls them you know and you hear that it's it's funny how often you hear those stories with warhammer you know or even games like magic or something but it's just you know that's something i think we all need to do better and like kind of follow your lead there it's like when we're teaching somebody when we're getting somebody in the game that's the most important part about it is getting them in and then once they're locked in, then we de- then we crush them. them. That's you know, exactly. then we repeatedly <laughs> ruin their. Here are my ten smash cap. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, looks like you got a pretty good handle on the game. Here we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. Nice. There was some other stuff that uh, we had recorded the section in two chunks. There were some other things that had come up and uh, been made clearer to us through various uh, researches we've done in the last two days uh, that we wanted to get in. Um, Lavelle, why don't we circle back to some of that too? So I think, um, I'm sorry, you got to remind me. The big ones were, um, was there clarification in one of the videos that we had watched from uh, Mini Wargaming? I did watch those. Those are really good. Yeah, Carla raised something when we, in, 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 our, in our discussion. Carla was saying that one of the things, when, they were saying that when you 
disembarked that the rules does the rules do say what you do if you can't place a model. Carlo, remember that? Yeah, and uh I remember seeing it like when we were going over the rule book the other day and then somebody else actually mentions it in the comment section. It's under I think it's under the unit coherency rules. So you would carry that over to like the embar embarkation and de uh, uh, disembarkation. because they can't disembark, they are out of coherency, therefore would be destroyed. Yeah. Right. Right. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, it could use a little clarification near the disembarkation rule, maybe, so we're not flipping through. It could use a little extra clarity there, but yeah. Yeah, like they should say, like, yeah. reference. Yeah. Right. So here's the thing. Sometimes when they make rules, it seems like different sets of teams make yeah. rules, <laughs> and they don't really talk to each other. So there is a meme going on, and I want to talk about this. And the meme says, it's from Game of Thrones. It says, the Indominus box said it's $200, and people say, thank, I'll take two. <laughs> but the Warhammer 40K app is $5 a month. Can the Treasury bear such an expense? <laughs> so, you know, I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask you guys' opinion about now that we know it, so it looks like the app, you know, Tim was saying he, he, he's got reservations. The app is going to be $5 a month. I want to talk about what my understanding of it is. So you buy the app for $5 a month. You'll get the rules and the current books. And if you buy another book, if I buy the new Codex Necrons, which will be out in three weeks. No, I'm only joking. If I buy the new Necron Codex, there'll be a code in there, and I can use it in the app, and it'll automatically upload or give me access to the book. So... What do you guys think about that, the, the whole uh, structure? Now, a lot of people, I know I'm cutting you off, but a lot of people are comparing it to um, Battlescribe. Battlescribe. So what do you guys think about it? I think the connection between physical books and digital books is super smart. There are a few instances, I like to collect the physical books, right? But there are a few instances where I would pay a little bit more to have a digital copy of it right in front of me on a tablet or on my phone or whatever. I could think of a couple of instances where that would be nice. Um, any, you know, any, any way that we can bring those two worlds together just so we have more options is really smart, I think. Um, I'm comfortable with $5 a month for, for list building as long as the list building is better than Battlescribe, as long as it's easier to get data in and out of that app. Like with Battlescribe, you know, we've talked about it countless times. You can export stuff in HTML. You can export stuff as plain text. It makes it very flexible to kind of customize how, you, if you want to make a one sheet out of your list, if you have a special way you'd like your list to be laid out for tournaments or whatever, that makes it very easy to accomplish all that. And that's not easy to do, right? It's it's not It's not, and, you know, Games Workshop is not a software company. So I hope they get it. I really do, really do. Yeah, I've been waiting for, you know, it, them not being a software company, like, you know, I guess it's it's an okay reason, but it's like you can always hire a third party to design something for you, right? Especially when you're that massive of a company. And that's, I think, what they tried to do with the combat roster. And I don't know if that was like the precursor to this app that they're working on now. But I remember when that came out like a year or two ago, and it was just like just power level which is already made to be, and we've talked about it on the podcast a million times, already made to be easy to add up, right? You don't need a, an app to, or website app to do right. that for you. Like you just need, like, like in most cases, a couple fingers on each hand, or at the worst yep. case, a yep. calculator. Yep, you can you know? do it on your phone pretty easily. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
I'm really, really, really optimist, like optimistic about this. I hope that they've gone about it the right way. It sounds like they're doing it in all the ways that I wanted. I, I remember us talking about this before on a podcast where we, what we had theorized was exactly what they're doing now with scanning the code in from the book and that being an electronic copy. And it, I think they may have listened to our podcast. And that's probably I don't exactly say what's stolen. going on. I don't want to say stolen, but definitely borrowed. They probably said, we want to be cutting edge. Get that crew <laughs> shaking right. podcast in here. It's, it's required listening. So get, here's the, get the podcast that has the name that's two editions <laughs> too old for this Yes, game. right away. <laughs> So here's the thing, you know, I live, uh, you know, I I live a pretty hectic lifestyle. I do a lot of traveling and I'm in a lot of important meetings. Being able to read a codex while I'm in a meeting is worth it to me. (laughs) Just being able, you know, while everybody's talking and I'm looking like I'm researching something, I'm saying, so if I move three inches (laughs) and heroically intervene, they're like, Lavelle, uh, yes. I agree. <laughs> Flexibility is everything. So I, yeah, I, it's good. <laughs> right. I do like the electronic copy, um, but I'm going to need to see. I'm going to need to see. I'm not even in the list building side. I'm going to need to see the functionality within the reading side. Mm-hmm. If it's got good functionality within the reading side, I have to say it's almost like a magazine su- subscription. It would be nice if they made White Dwarf available for it through it. Can you guys clarify something for me too? I got in some pre-orders last night for the different little things. Um, I did not order the um, chapter approved. Is that included in the Indominus boxes? All the points costs or no? Um, it is not. Oh, so I got to get that separate. Okay. It is not included. And well, uh, you got to kind of weigh what you're going to do. If you're going to try the app, I don't. So, I mean, I get all the chapter approved. Mm-hmm. I like having. Mm-hmm. The, the chronicle, mm-hmm. you know, when when they find that my ancient hole and they dig it up and I want their archivists to say, what is this we've discovered? Um, um, I think you do need to get the chapter approved. But, you know, I'm behind on that. Um, uh, not to switch subjects a little bit here from the new general's handbook, too. Yeah, that just came out. Mm-hmm. That just came out. Yep. I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to get that uh, the general's handbook and that chapter approved. But I, I'm I'm OK with yep. waiting. Yep. I want to back us up to the rules. Has anybody been following the fort? The the article is called Fort Building Fortifications. I I briefly saw a few things mentioned in our in the BWG group yesterday about it. So I heard they're pretty good. The fortifications you now can take fortifications, but you you know they are a detachment, and for one command point you can get three fortifications. If the if the if the fortifications are of the same faction as your warlord, they will refund that one command point. So you can add fortifications into it. Um, I'm interested in seeing I'm I'm interested in seeing some of the data, the new data on the fortifications. For example, what what terrain traits are is the fortification going to get? Um, and That's a good point. Are they going to be preset, or do you give them? That is correct. I'm, I want to see how trade, that works so. right there. Um, and I, I feel like it's an it's an effort by Games Workshop to make the the fortifications more a part of the game, more part of the game. So you could always add fortifications to me, like the uh, the redemption. Um, I can't remember what that Dark Angels one is called. 
but all Fortress of, those of things. Redemption. Now, I, Fortress of Redemption. Yeah, Fortress of Redemption. I still have that big uh, Games Workshop four by is a two by two. It's, I think it's a two by two tile for the Necrons that I hardly ever get mm-hmm. to play. That really wasn't that great on the board. So you pay one CP just for the ability to get the fortifi- three fortifications, but you're still playing the points cost, correct? I mean, it doesn't. Apparently, yeah, yes. Yeah, right. Yep. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could definitely see more faction specific terrain pieces coming out with these with that kind of a rule play in mind, which is nice because I think that's I think that's one thing that's cool about AOS is that most of the armies get their own little bit to have in the back that gives them a boost, you know, like the Nosolith uh, circle for Chaos Space Marines, etc. I think that I think that's great. The new Necron one is called the Convergence of of Dominion, and they have three pieces. And they don't have to be placed placed in your um, in your, uh, your your deployment. That area. one looks awesome. I'm I'm all about the new Necron art style and everything. I think it's really good. Yeah. That new Hammerfall thing can shoot. Apparently, it can shoot at everything within range. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what oh. I said. What? What, what is this? Oh. Yeah, every enemy unit within range. Unbridled destruction. It says defensive array in your shooting phase. Each time this model is selected to shoot, it's Hammerfall Heavy Bolter Array or it's Hammerfall Heavy Flamers Array can target and resolve attacks against every eligible enemy unit. I feel like they should have done it in a similar way to AOS where like the fortifications or the terrain pieces are free. You get one free one or something. That would be interesting. Yeah. And like they could classify them as like, you know, obviously some are better than others and do them in different tiers, like tier one, tier two, tier three. And you get like, you know, up to three tier ones or one tier three or whatever. Welcome back to The Chosen. We are almost out of here. Carlo has his new puppy in lap, so we'll make this a short wrap-up. My choice for The Chosen this episode of Crew Shaken is the first in the Vaults of Terra series by Chris Raitt, a book called The Carrion Throne. We have an Inquisitor and a new interrogator assigned to that Inquisitor, pairing up and teaming up with a custodian to protect the Imperial throne room from a threat from within. Very good story. There are some descriptions of what the underside of the Imperial Palace are like and how big the, the 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 sense of scale in this book is really, really cool. The sense of the size of the Imperial Palace is really great. Uh, it's very good. And um, I've I've become a big fan. I've the couple of the last couple of Black Library books I've read have had custodies in them, and I'm really into reading about custodies and how they are venerated and feared and just their whole the whole everything that happens to the room when one of them walks into, I think is really cool. So highly recommended. Chris Ray did a good job with the Carrion Throne. Lavelle, what do you got for us? So, you know, my chosen is kind of a, a warning. I bought a 3D printer and I was hoping to buy, I, I was hoping to start creating some more terrain and some more um, kind of accents because I'm not really looking to make my own models. Um, accents to my displays is hard. <laughs> it ain't as easy. Apparently it does not work like a Star Trek replicator. <laughs> So um, I'm a little upset about that. 
Um, but I, I want to say I will keep everybody informed about my uh, escapades with it. It has not been going well. Let me say What's that. the most challenging thing about and it? I, yes. <laughs> Did you hear me? That's my answer. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you know, they're I, like temperamental I, machines, right? I, they are. I, I feel like people who say it's easy have a level, level of skill and talent that they take for granted. <laughs> Um, you know, I, it's just, I don't, it, it, I just thought it would be easier. You know, a lot of prints fail and I've been reading up on how, why they fail. Um, you know, I, I, for people who say 3D printing is going to do away with the hobby, <laughs> you don't really understand 3D printing. I would imagine right. that like, not like I've never used one before, but just knowing some other machines, I would imagine they get clogged a lot. Like the way that the... actually. Listen, do not put your finger on the nozzle. It gets so hot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how I know that. But <laughs> it gets hotter than you would think that that little machine, that little piece could get hot. Um, you know, here's the thing. I think I, 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 I just think that I don't fully understand it. And maybe if I took a week and sat down with it, I could produce something. But right now. Maybe you should take Joe Capina's 3D printing class at Nova. Next time, uh, does he have a three D printing class for? Uh, yeah, Nova. Yeah, he does at Nova, but that'll be yeah. it'll be a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to sit there and wait. <laughs> he helped me. Joe actually helped me select the model and everything. He's given me some guidance, but I think there are some concepts that fly over my head, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it. I got it. I don't got, got it. it. <laughs> I don't nice. got it. I just want to say that I feel like if you are going to, it, it's. Don't just go feet first. And thankfully, thankfully, Joe kept my cost of entry to a minimum. Yeah, it was really, it was not that expensive and all the pieces that, that kind of go with it. But I'm still on a learning yeah. curve. I'll keep Please you posted. Do. Yeah, cool. Carlo, what do you got for us? Uh, uh, it's been mostly the, uh, I'm mostly taking care of the pup here. Oh, oh my God. Uh oh. She's right. lighting everything. Right, I gotta go. go. All right. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody, for Cruise Shake, and I have been Tim. I'm Lavelle. And I'm Carlo. We'll see you next time. <laughs>